This morning, if you'll take your Bible and open to the Gospel according to John, uh, we want to read beginning at verse 29 from chapter 1 through verse 42. We'll be focusing our attention this morning uh, on uh, one verse uh, and really uh, one phrase, the phrase, Behold the Lamb of God, a phrase that is mentioned twice in this passage, uh, mentioned once in verse 29. Uh, and mentioned once also in verse 36. Uh, And we pick this, of course, in connection with the administration of the Lord's Supper. And so both through the preaching of the the Word and also through the administration of the Lord's Supper this morning, the exhortation to the people of God is simply this, Behold the Lamb of God. And so we read, beginning at verse 29 of John 1, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This of he, of whom I said after me, comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that hour, that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And thus far this morning, our reading from the Word of God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ recently, and maybe some of you have seen this, there has been quite a campaign, an advertising campaign, uh, simply with this slogan behind it, He Gets Us. And I've looked a little bit into this campaign, but I don't know exactly the motivations behind it. I don't know exactly all of the details. That's not my purpose by way of introduction uh, to give you a rabbit trail, so to speak, uh, so that you'd begin to think all about this campaign of He Gets Us. But simply, my purpose is this. Uh, When I've seen these signs, or perhaps when I've seen these advertisements, I understand He Gets Us in the sense that our Father has a comprehensive knowledge of us and that Jesus Christ has a sympathetic nature towards us. But the question that I often had in response to that campaign is, do we get him? I know he gets us, but do we get him in the sense of having an experiential understanding, especially of who Jesus Christ is? Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. A simple theme this morning, the Lamb of God. 
Notice in our text, first of all, the testifier to the Lamb, and then the attention to the Lamb, and then the response to the Lamb. The Lamb of God, the testifier, the attention, and the response to the Lamb. First of all, you'll notice that there is a testifier to the Lamb of God, and that testifier in our context is especially the person of John the Baptist, uh, who was engaged in a work of preparation calling for a perception. Uh, John the Baptist, you might say the last of the Old Testament prophets as he stands in the historical position uh, of bridging the Old Testament, anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, and the New Testament, realization of the coming of the Messiah. And John the Baptist's great ministry work was simply to herald or to make known or to announce as a, a forerunner that the Lamb of God had come. All throughout the Old Testament, there was this prophetic message going all the way back to the opening chapters of Genesis uh, that a Savior would come, a Messiah would come, one who was anointed by the Lord to accomplish all that was necessary for the salvation of His people, that this person would come. And you can think of Isaiah perhaps particularly looking forward to this day. And now John the Baptist culminates this Old Testament prophetic ministry by saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And in addition to that, what John the Baptist was doing was engaging in a work of preparation uh, to call out for the spiritual preparation of the soul. And so John preached a baptism for the remission of sins. John did not only engage simply in the pronouncement that the Messiah had come, but he also engaged in this work of seeking to prepare the hearts of men, women, and children to receive the Messiah by showing them and impressing upon them their need of a Savior. That mere external morality was not sufficient, that not even some type of misunderstood covenantal loyalty was sufficient for their salvation, but that they rather needed the Lamb of God. They needed a substitutionary sacrifice. They needed a Savior. Uh, you can think of Luke 3, verse 8, uh, the message of John the Baptist, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And we've just undergone a week of self-examination. And I ask you the question as you prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, do you have a soft heart of a repentant spirit? It's only from that posture, so to speak, that one is able to behold the Lamb. Uh, John not only engages in a work of preparation, but he also calls for a certain perception. Notice verse 36, and that's why I chose this as our text uh, rather than the uh, prior verse, which mentions again the Lamb of God, verse 29. Verse 36, and we believe every single word of Scripture is inspired, uh, and it is valuable, and looking at Jesus as He walked. And, and I wrestled with this phrase uh, a bit this week. Why is it that the Spirit inspires John, the author of this epistle, or rather this uh, gospel account, why is it that the Spirit impresses these words upon him, looking at Jesus as he walked? And I think there's at least two points that are being emphasized here. The first is the real humanity 
of the incarnate Son of God as he walked. And isn't that in part a summary of the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? He walked. He walked among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, walking among us. And what did He do as He walked? He walked doing good. He walked healing. He walked teaching. He walked performing miracles. But then as His life began to reach its culminating point, He walked also, you can think, into the Garden of Gethsemane. And He walked into the court of Pilate. And he walked outside the city of Jerusalem. And he walked to the hill of Calvary to be crucified. Now all of that is not in John 1, verse 36, but certainly something of that is in there. He walked among us, performing the work of salvation. And John looking at Jesus as he walked. And I want to ask you, as I ask myself this morning, where are we looking? I remember, and I didn't plant much corn growing up, but I remember my father took great pride in straight rows of corn. And this was before GPS and auto steering. And he would tell me the way to plant straight rows of corn is never ever take your eye off that center marker on the hood of the tractor. Keep it exactly lined up with the row marker. And those of you who planted corn before GPS and auto steering, you know what I'm talking about. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Just fix your eye on that center marker on the hood, and keep it exactly in line with the row marker. The spiritual point that I'm trying to illustrate is congregation, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I know it is a very real temptation to take our eyes off of him. And John, looking at Jesus as he walked. Notice the attention in our second point given to the Lamb. There is this phrase, behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb, of course, ties back to the Old Testament symbolism of the sacrificial system and especially of the sacrificial victim. The sacrificial victim that served to represent a sin-atoning or a a, a sin-satisfying substitute. You can think here of Isaiah 53, verse 7. He, ultimately pointing forward to Jesus Christ, was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And you can go even further back from Isaiah 53, and you can find, especially on the Day of Atonement, that there was this sacrificial victim. And we use this word victim, uh, not that Jesus Christ fell into some unplanned circumstances, not that he was caught in some trap that the demonic host had laid for him. He was not a victim in that sense, but he was a victim in the sense of this, uh, that 
the punishment, the judgment of our sin fell upon Him as our substitutionary sacrifice. And this is picked up also by John when he writes his first epistle, 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, the the wrath-ending, the wrath-satisfying sacrifice. When, when, we, when we think of Jesus Christ, when we talk of Jesus Christ, when we contemplate Jesus Christ, what do we have in mind? Is it just a moral example? Is it just some tangible expression of divine benevolence towards a fallen world? Is it just some type of self-help guru? These types of understandings, or we should say misunderstandings, concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ are very, very, very prevalent within our society. But that's not what John is saying. John is saying, look at Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. The divine provision of reconciliation through His atoning sacrifice. And that's why these words are so important for a mature Christian understanding of faith. Uh, The whole idea of a vicarious atonement, in our place He stood condemned. Of a satisfying sacrifice. He says, as the Lamb of God from the cross, it is finished. Well, what is finished? Reconciliation. The obtaining of peace between ourselves and God. And this is the emphasis also as John says this is the Lamb of God. And I've always been struck, well not always, but and for a number of years I've been struck that so often, you know, if someone invites you over for a meal, a fellowship meal, and I admit usually it's well, it's always my wife that says this. You know, ask them what, what we can bring, which means what she can bring. You know, it's kind of the expression of what you do. So someone invites you over for dinner, and you say, well, well can I bring something? Christ invites you to a fellowship meal this morning in the administration of the Lord's Supper, and what does he require you to bring? Nothing. It's all provided. You don't bring your own bread. You don't bring your own wine. You don't bring an appetizer or a dessert. And this is the essence of the gospel. It's not, well, God does this and then we do this and cooperating together in some type of synergistic model of salvation that we accomplish peace. No, this is the Lamb of God, provided entirely by God as the very Son of God. And I hope that this brings rest to your soul this morning, especially if you are weary. Weary because of an attempt to add something in order to obtain salvation. Behold the Lamb of God the Son of God, incarnate. And notice the response. This command, behold, is an exhortation to comprehend. This is not just look with some type of passing curiosity. 
You know, sometimes perhaps you're driving down the road and someone says, oh, look at that. And you look at it and go, oh, that's, that's neat, that's interesting. And then you go back to what the main point of attention is. Now, that, that's not what this word means. This behold has a certain sense of an experiential understanding that manifests itself in a following after Jesus Christ. So really, the command to behold the Lamb of God is seen being followed by these disciples. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And this is simply the exercise of faith. And what is faith? To use the words of our Heidelberg Catechism, it includes a sure knowledge and a wholehearted trust. A sure knowledge is not a perfect knowledge. Uh, These two individuals, these two disciples, they did not have a perfect comprehensive knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, Their later lives will reveal many, many points of ignorance, but they had a basic knowledge of Jesus Christ. They acknowledged him, you'll notice, to be the Messiah. Look at verse 41. Andrew says to his brother Simon, we have found the Messiah. That's the experiential knowledge of faith. That when a person looks at Jesus Christ, they see the anointed Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the Redeemer, the Deliverer. And that's also my exhortation to you this morning. When you behold Jesus Christ by faith, both in the preaching of the gospel and also in the breaking of the bread and the distribution of the wine, and even as you handle these elements this morning, behold the Lamb of God and say to yourself over and over and over, by God's goodness, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. Not that he's physically in the bread, not that he's physically in the wine, but these are divinely instituted elements that serve to represent him in his person and in his work. And as you receive these elements, as you eat the bread and as you drink the wine, say over and over and over again in your heart with joy and gladness and thanksgiving to God, we have found the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, Jesus, and do so with a wholehearted trust, a wholehearted reliance. Having found the Messiah, we have found salvation. We have found the forgiveness of sins, the full forgiveness of sins, the complete forgiveness of sins, the gracious forgiveness of sins. The sins of today, the sins of yesterday, the sins of long ago are completely forgotten, buried underneath the infinite, valuable blood of Jesus Christ. And not only that, the sins of tomorrow, the sins of next year, the sins of the entirety of our lives have already been once and for all definitively dealt with by the Messiah, by Jesus the Christ, whom we are encouraged and exhorted this morning to behold. And so to go back to the opening illustration of the advertising campaign, he gets us, he certainly does get us. Jesus Christ, along with the Father and the Spirit, 
knows us even better than we know ourselves. But do you get him? Do you behold Jesus Christ as he is proclaimed to you and also as he is visibly represented in his person and his work with the breaking of the bread and the pouring out of the wine? Do you get him with the exercise of faith, saying, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Amen. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we rejoice with a humility within our hearts that you not only have provided for our redemption, but also that you have illuminated our understanding that through the preaching of the Word, through the testimony of the Scriptures, and also through the display of the sacrament this morning, that all of these, in a holy and sanctified way, bombard our senses with the reality of the Messiah, of Jesus the Christ. And as we hear the exhortation to behold Him, may our souls respond. May our minds, our wills, and also our affections uh, be won over, and may we embrace Jesus Christ in the living, continual exercise of a faith that includes a sure knowledge and a wholehearted trust. We ask all of this for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.